0: Well, I've been using uh, the same video to start all my podcasts and the study of the New Testament, and I thought I'd make a new one. I know you must be tired of looking at the old one. But anyway, we're going through the complete New Testament, not the entire Bible, but just the New Testament. And we're reading the scripture, and we're also going through a commentary uh, by William MacDonald. And uh, with that said, I'm just going to move on to our next episode.
1: So with that said, let's just continue on. Chapter 8
2: We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers. They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men.
1: 2 Corinthians chapter 8 2. Paul's exhortation to complete the collection for the Jerusalem Saints chapters. 8. 9. Odd Good Examples of Generous Giving, 8 verses 1-9 to 9. 8 verse 1, Paul wanted the believers to know the very unusual way in which the grace of God had manifested itself among the Christians in the churches of Macedonia, northern Greece. Philippi and Thessalonica were two of the cities where churches had been planted. The particular way in which these Macedonians showed that they had received the grace of God was by their generosity. 8 verse 2, These Christians had been going through a great trial of affliction. Ordinarily, people thus tested would seek to save their money to provide for their future. And especially so if they were not very prosperous, as was the case with the Macedonians. They did not have very much money at all. Yet their Christian joy was so overflowing that when the need of the saints in Jerusalem was presented to them, they reversed all ordinary behavior and gave in a most liberal manner. They were able to combine affliction, joy, poverty, and liberality. 8 verse 3, There were other unique features about their generosity. Their giving not only equaled their ability, it went beyond their ability. Also they were freely willing, that is, they gave spontaneously, without having to be pressured, coaxed, or cajoled. 8 verse 4, So urgent were they in the matter that they begged Paul for the privilege of sharing in the relief of the Jerusalem saints. Perhaps the apostle hesitated to accept their kindness, knowing how poor they were themselves at the time. But they would not take no foreign answer. They wanted to be allowed to give. 8 verse 5 Probably Paul had only expected or hoped that they would act as most other mortals do, they give grudgingly at first, then increase the amount of the gift as greater pressure is brought to bear upon them. But not so the Macedonians. These beloved Christians first gave the greatest gift, themselves. Then afterwards it was an easy thing for them to give their money. When Paul says they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God, he simply means that first there was the complete committal of their lives to Christ, then they willingly gave themselves to Paul in the sense that they wanted to help in the collection for Jerusalem. They said to Paul, in effect, we have given ourselves to the Lord, and now we give ourselves to you as his administrator. You tell us what to do, since you are an Apostle of Christ, our Lord. Contributions to the work of the Lord, says G. Campbell Morgan, are only valuable as they are the gifts of those who are themselves yielded to God. 8 verse 6, the Apostle was so elated over the example of the Macedonians that he now wanted the Corinthians to imitate them. And so he says that he urged Titus to complete the work which he had begun at Corinth. In other words, when Titus had first visited the Corinthians, he had brought up this whole matter of the collection with them. Now when he goes back, he is instructed to see that good intentions are translated into action. 8 verse 7, Since the Corinthians were so outstanding in many ways, and they were, Paul now wants them to excel in the matter of giving. He gives them credit for abounding in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, earnestness, and in their love for him. In the first epistle, Paul had commended them for their knowledge and speech. Here he adds several other virtues, doubtless as a result of Titus' visit. The expression in faith may describe strong faith in God, the gift of faith, or faithfulness in their dealings with their fellow men. In speech doubtless refers to their proficiency in the use of tongues, a subject which occupied considerable place in the first epistle. In knowledge may refer to the charismatic gift or to the breadth of their grasp of divine truths. In all diligence describes their zeal and earnestness in the things of God. Finally, their love for Paul is mentioned as being praiseworthy. Now Paul would like to add another expression to the list, namely, in all generosity. Denny warns of The man who abounds in spiritual interests, who is fervent, prayerful, affectionate, able to speak in the church, but unable to part with his money. 8 verse 8, Paul is not commanding this in a harsh, legalistic manner. Rather, he would like to put the sincerity of their love to the test, and especially so in the light of the eagerness or earnestness of the Macedonian Christians in this matter. When Paul states that he did not say this by commandment, he does not mean that it is not inspired. He simply means that the giving should come from a willing heart, because God loves a cheerful giver. 8 verse 9, it is at this point that the Apostle Paul introduces one of the greatest verses in this grand letter. Against a background of the petty circumstances of life in Macedonia and in Corinth he paints a lovely portrait of the most generous person who ever lived. The word grace is used in a variety of ways in the NT, but here the meaning is unmistakably that of generosity. How generous was the Lord Jesus! He was so generous that he gave all he had for our sakes that we through his poverty might become eternally rich. Morehead comments. He was rich in possessions, power, homage, fellowship, happiness. He became poor in station, circumstances, in his relations with men. We are urged to give a little money, clothing, food. He gave himself. This verse teaches the pre existence of the Lord Jesus. When was he rich? Certainly not when he came into the world as the babe of Bethlehem. And certainly not during his thirty-three years of wandering as a homeless stranger in the world his hands had made. He was rich in a bygone eternity, dwelling with the Father in the courts of heaven. But he became poor. This refers not only to Bethlehem but to Nazareth, Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha. And it was all for our sakes that we through his poverty might become rich. If this is true, and it certainly is, then it should be our greatest joy to give all that we are and have to him. No argument could be more forceful than this in the midst of Paul's discussion of Christian giving. Be a good advice to complete the collection, 8 verses 10, 11. 8 verse 10, Now the apostle returns to the Corinthians. They had thought of making a collection for the poor saints before the Macedonians had decided to do it. The Corinthians had actually begun to do it before the Macedonians started their fund. To be consistent, they should finish what they began a year ago. It would be to their advantage, because it would prove their sincerity and consistency. 8 verse 11, Whatever their reason for delay, Paul tells them that they should disregard it and complete the thing which they had shown a readiness to do. They should do it according to the ability which they then had and not according to what they might like to do in the future if their wealth increased. See three good principles for generous giving, 8 verses 12 to 15. 8 verse 12 It seems the Corinthians had delayed in making a collection for the needy saints at Jerusalem, hoping that they would be able to send more at a later date. They are here reminded, however, that it is not a question of how much they send at all. If there is a real desire in their heart to have fellowship in this good matter, then God accepts their gift, however small it may be. It's the heart attitude that counts. 8 verse 13, Paul's purpose is not to put the Corinthians under financial strain. His thought is not that the Jerusalem church should be eased and the Corinthian church burdened or impoverished. 8 verse 14, this verse describes God's program for the relief of want in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's purpose is that whenever a need exists in one area among Christians, then there should be a flow of funds from other areas to that needy spot. This constant flow and interflow of funds would result in an equality among the churches worldwide. Thus, at the time Paul was writing, there would be a flow of funds from Corinth, Macedonia, and other places to Jerusalem. But perhaps in the future the saints at Jerusalem might be well cared for, whereas there might be definite lack in Corinth. In such an instance the flow of funds would be reversed. That is what Paul means by this verse. Now the need was in Jerusalem but sometime in the future it might be in Corinth, and in that case others would help them. 8 verse 15, this principle of equality is emphasized by a quotation from Exodus 16 verse 18. When the children of Israel went out to gather the manna, some were able to gather more than others. But it didn't matter. When the manna was distributed, each man received the same amount one omer, or about five pints. So he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. If anyone tried to hoard manna, it bred worms. The equalization didn't happen by miracle or magic. It happened because those who had too much shared with those who didn't have enough. Hodge observes The lesson, taught in Exodus and by Paul, is that, among the people of God, the superabundance of one should be employed in relieving the necessities of others, and that any attempt to countervail this law will result in shame and loss property is like manna, it will not bear hoarding. Along the same lines is this selection from an unknown source. God intends each man to have a share of the good things of life. Some gather more, however, and some less. Those who have more should share with those who have less. God permits the unequal distribution of property, not so that the rich shall selfishly enjoy it, but share it with the poor. D. Three good brethren to prepare the collection, 8 verses 16 to 24. 8 verse 16, in these next two verses Titus is commended for the excellent attitude he has taken in the matter. First, God is thanked for putting the same earnest care for the Corinthians into the heart of Titus. Paul had found a kindred spirit in his fellow worker. The same burden which the apostle had for the Corinthians, he found to be shared by Titus. 8-17, verse Paul had exhorted Titus to go to Corinth with this letter, but the exhortation was not necessary. He wanted to go of his own accord. The clause he went to you probably means he is going to you. It illustrates the epistolary aorist tense, which views the action not at the time when Paul wrote the letter but when the Corinthians read it. Titus was unquestionably the one who carried this letter to Corinth. He didn't leave for Corinth until Paul finished the letter. 8 verse 18, verses 18 through 22 describe two other Christian brethren who would accompany Titus on his mission. The first one is described in verses 18 through 21 and the second in verse 22. Both are unnamed. This section of scripture is valuable in showing the precautions which the apostle Paul took in handling funds lest there be any basis for accusing him of mishandling the money. The first brother referred to was one who was worthy of praise because of his work in the Gospel. There is a great difference of opinion as to who is meant. Some say Luke, others Silas, some Trophimus. But perhaps by trying to guess we missed the whole spirit of the passage. Is it not intentional that he is unnamed? True discipleship often involves obscurity. This was so with the little maid who was used so greatly in the life of Naaman, the leper. It was also true with the little boy who put his lunch at the disposal of the Lord Jesus. 8 verse 19, This unnamed brother was also chosen by the churches to make the journey necessitated by this gift. In other words, he was appointed to be one of the messengers to carry this freely given contribution. The apostle looked upon himself and the others as servants or administrators of this gracious work. They did it for the glory of the Lord himself. And they wanted it to demonstrate their willingness and eagerness to serve the poor saints in Jerusalem. 8 verse 20 The apostle was too wise a man to handle this money alone, or to commit it to any one other man. He insisted on its being handled by a group of two or three or more. That is what he means here in verse 20. To avoid any possibility of misrepresentation or scandal, he ensured that the handling of this lavish gift might be done in such a way that no evil speaking could result. 8 verse 21, Providing honorable things means making sure that things are done honestly. Paul was anxious that his actions should not only be honest in the sight of the Lord, but that they should also be above reproach in the sight of men. Morgan notes, It is the business of the Christian community to do its business in such a way that men of the world will have no cause to suspect anything contrary to righteousness in its affairs. This verse, incidentally, is nearly the same as Proverbs 3 verses 3 and 4 in the Septuagint. 8 verse 22, here we have another unknown brother whom Paul had appointed to help in this important matter. He had often proved diligent in many matters, and now he showed special diligence with regard to this particular errand, because of the great confidence he had in the Corinthians. At this point, the NKJV says, because of the great confidence which we have in you. The words we have are supplied, italics, and many prefer that he has be understood instead then Paul would be commending him not only for his past faithfulness, but because of his keen interest on this particular occasion by reason of his confidence in the Corinthians. 8 verse 23, Therefore, Paul says that if anyone inquires about these three men, the Corinthians could tell them that Titus is Paul's partner and fellow worker for the Corinthians, and that these other two brethren are messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. The expression the glory of Christ is certainly an exalted description of these men. It is because they are deputies of the churches that they are so called. They make the work of the Lord shine before the eyes of men. They are a credit to the Lord and reflect His glory. 8 verse 24 In view of all this, the Corinthians should give them a good reception and should justify Paul's boasting about them by entrusting to them the generous gift for the saints at Jerusalem. This would be proof to the surrounding churches of their Christian love. Phillips translates the verse, so do let them and all the churches see how genuine is your love and justify all the nice things we have said about you.
0: A while back I made a recording to end all my uh, uh, videos on the study through the New Testament and uh, I noticed that it was somehow or other it got corrupt so I had to make a new one. So just a reminder that, uh, let me just grab in here, my Bible. I always tell you at the end of my, my videos that God is in this Bible, and you can find him, and all you have to do is pick it up and read it. So with that said, I'm going to end my podcast, and have a great
1: day. Until next time, Lord bless. Bye now.